On December 16th, 2022, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa was booed and heckled by members of the African National Congress, his own political party, while giving a speech at the ANC's party conference. Six months prior, on June 1st, 2022, a police report revealed that over $4 million worth of undeclared foreign currency had been found stuffed in a sofa at Ramaphosa's private game farm in the province of Limpopo. Consequently, articles of impeachment were issued against the president by South Africa's parliament, meaning that Ramaphosa's days in office may be numbered. Ramaphosa's tenure as president, which began in February of 2018, has been fraught with ups and downs. Ramaphosa has been praised for South Africa's effective response to the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as for his efforts to rid the nation of the corruption that was endemic under his predecessor, Jacob Zuma. However, on top of his own corruption scandal, Ramaphosa has also been slammed for his continued pro-Russian foreign policy even during the Russo-Ukrainian war, as well as South African police's handling of the Marikana miners' strike, which ended in the killing of 34 mine workers by police. Additionally, Ramaphosa has continued Zuma's controversial policy of expropriating farmland from white South Africans in an attempt to financially assist black laborers who were disadvantaged under apartheid. White South Africans, despite comprising roughly 8% of the country's population, are believed to own 72% of South Africa's private farmland. Voluntary land reform began in the 1990s under the Willing Seller, Willing Buyer program established by Nelson Mandela's government. In 2006, the South African government started forcibly expropriating land from white farmers, offering them reasonable compensation in exchange. Under Zuma and Ramaphosa, South Africa has switched to a policy of expropriation without compensation, modeled after Robert Mugabe's land reform program in Zimbabwe. Land reform in South Africa is just one example of the racial tensions that have continued in South Africa since the end of apartheid in 1994. To this day, South Africa remains fairly segregated. Members of the four primary racial groups, Black, Colored, White, and Indian, overwhelmingly live in racially homogenous areas. And before we go any further, I'm going to address the elephant in the room. The term colored is used officially to refer to individuals of mixed racial backgrounds and is unrelated to the antiquated American racial designation. Since 1994, the ideology of non-racialism has been embedded in the Constitution of South Africa, and the African National Congress also promotes the ideology, rejecting any form of racial supremacy. However, this has not stopped allegations that the ruling government disadvantages colored, white, and Indian South Africans through its black economic empowerment policy. This program, which intends to rectify the disproportionate presence of white South Africans in private business management positions, has been accused of pressuring white business owners to turn over their companies to black executives. In addition to land reform, white farmers in South Africa often point to rampant violent attacks on farms as part of a larger intimidation campaign against white South Africans. 
However, critics of this theory point out that farm attacks affect farm workers who are predominantly black, and that they are just a result of South Africa's generally high crime rate. The farm attack theory has also been criticized for blurring the line between reality and white nationalist conspiracy theories like the Great Replacement. Still, numerous initiatives have emerged in an attempt to foster ethnic autonomy from South Africa. One example is Cape Independence, a movement that enjoys particular support from colored South Africans. As the Western Cape province is by far the most diverse South African province and the only province with a colored plurality, many Cape residents believe that non-racialism will be best achieved in an independent Cape. A more radical proposal calls for the creation of a Volkstadt, that is, an independent whites-only homeland for Afrikaners, or South Africans of Dutch ancestry, who make up a majority of South Africa's white population. According to a 1996 poll, only 22% of Afrikaners supported the creation of a Volkstadt, although this number is believed to have increased substantially during the Zuma and Ramaphosa presidencies. The growing ethnic divide in South Africa bears a striking resemblance to the racial tensions that rocked South Africa as apartheid fell. This period saw an attempted coup that involved an unholy alliance of Afrikaner nationalists and a black kleptocrat. I'm going to tell you all about it right now on Historia Obscura. Welcome to Historia Obscura. This is the 78th episode of this podcast, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Special thank you to Patreon subscribers Barbara Lisa Chase, and Tom. If you want to receive a shout-out in every episode, among other benefits, help support this podcast by going to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and becoming a patron. One more thing, make sure to stick around for a little to hear a message about the sponsor of this episode of Historia Obscura, Anchor. If you want to make your own podcast, you'll want to know everything about how to use Anchor. It was clear from just about the start of apartheid that a system of long-term black voter disenfranchisement just wouldn't be sustainable in South Africa and Southwest Africa, today Namibia, especially with a white population that peaked at only 16%. To rectify this issue, in 1959, the ruling pro-apartheid National Party passed the Promotion of Bantu Self-Government Act. This law allowed for the creation of Bantu stands, or territories specifically designated as homelands for different black South African tribes. For instance, the Republic of Transkei was designated for the Kosa people, and the Republic of Wenda was designated for the Wenda people. The intent of the National Party was for black people to move to the black-governed Bantu stands and thereby have their South African citizenship nullified, eliminating black South Africans as a voting bloc. Bantu stands had varying levels of autonomy, but four of them were considered nominally independent by the South African government, Transkei, Wenda, Siskei, and Boputatswana. 
Boputatswana, an agglomeration of enclaves scattered across the northern provinces of South Africa, was granted independence in 1977 as a homeland for the Tswana people. If you listen to my episode about Seretse Kama, you probably recognize Swana as the primary ethnic group of Botswana. Elections were held for the Bantustan and the Boputatswana Democratic Party, led by tribal chief Lucas Mangope, came out victorious. Simultaneously, the two million Swana residents of Boputatswana lost their South African citizenship, and even within the Bantustan, the most affluent commercial zones in the capital Mbato were still earmarked as white-only areas. Nevertheless, Mangope stayed in power as president, looking past discrimination against black residents of Boputatswana due to the power it gave him. Political freedom in Boputatswana quickly deteriorated under Mangope, and opponents of the president were regularly arrested without cause. The increasingly popular African National Congress, banned in South Africa and condemned by Mangope as a communist and anti-Christian group, was designated an illegal organization in Boputatswana as well. Meanwhile, Boputatswana became the wealthiest Bantustan due to its possession of two-thirds of the world's platinum, as well as the Sun City Casino, which attracted millions of day travelers from Johannesburg and Pretoria since gambling was illegal in South Africa. On August 14, 1989, the beginning of the end for apartheid came when South African President P.W. Botha resigned after suffering a stroke. He was replaced by F.W. de Klerk, a Botha loyalist who was expected to continue the apartheid policies of his predecessor. However, this could not be further from the case. On February 2, 1990, de Klerk announced that the ANC was no longer an illegal organization. Just over a week later, on February 11, 1990, ANC leader and anti-apartheid activist Nelson Mandela, who has a memorial park named after him in Jersey City, New Jersey, was released from prison after serving 27 years of a life sentence. For the next four years, de Klerk's National Party and Mandela's ANC would negotiate South Africa's future in a process containing periods of both tension and reconciliation. In November of 1993, an interim constitution was signed establishing democratic, non-racial elections and signifying an end to apartheid in South Africa. De Klerk and Mandela would go on to win that year's Nobel Peace Prize. These elections would take place between April 26th and April 29th, 1994, but not everyone was thrilled about South Africa's new constitution. The National Party faced an internal divide, with the clerk and supporters of the interim constitution ultimately creating the new National Party, while pro-apartheid stalwarts remained in the National Party. And of course, it's important to mention that this new constitution also dissolved the Bantustans and returned South African citizenship to citizens of these areas. This was a very popular move among black residents of the various Bantustans who simply sought to partake in non-racial South African elections, but one person who was not happy with the change was Lucas Mangope. 
It turns out that essentially being the dictator of a wealthy state is a pretty sweet gig, and it is widely believed that Mangope had redirected millions of dollars in Boputatswana's government funds to his own bank account. With the planned dissolution of the Bantustans on the horizon, thousands of civil servants in Baputatswana went on strike, demanding wages and pensions. When Mangope ignored the strike, violent riots broke out and members of the Baputatswana Defense Force, most of whom wanted to be reincorporated into South Africa, laid down their arms or even joined the rioters. Left defenseless, Mangope called on an unlikely ally. On March 8, 1994, Lucas Mangope invited South African Army General Constant Willion to meet with him. Willion, an Afrikaner nationalist, was the leader of the Afrikaner Volksfront, or AVF, a political organization that called for the creation of a Volksstaat. Remember, a Volksstaat is an Afrikaner nation. Mangope agreed to allow the militant wing of the AVF to patrol Baputatswana as a police and military force, as well as a security service for him and his family. At first glance, it may seem strange that an Afrikaner nationalist group was so eager to militarily support the black leader of a black nation. However, it's important to remember that Bantustans were initially created by the pro-apartheid government to eliminate black South Africans as a voting bloc. Therefore, Willione and the AVF viewed the survival of Baputatswana as a last stand against the dissolution of the Bantustans, which would ultimately lead to the end of white hegemony in South Africa. After two days of AVF presence, Mangope's defense collapsed and Baputatswana descended into anarchy. Seeing an opportunity to fulfill the AVF's goal, the Afrikaner Weerstandsbeweging, or AWB, launched an incursion into Baputatswana. The AWB, led by the infamous Afrikaner nationalist Eugene Terreblanche, was a white supremacist neo-Nazi militia that Mangope had explicitly prohibited from assisting with his defense due to their radical far-right ideology. Sure enough, upon entering Baputatswana, the AWB began indiscriminately firing on both rioters and civilians. One car in an AWB convoy containing Alwin Wolfart, Nicolas Fouré, and Jacobus Uys is said to have shot at roadside houses, killing two civilians and injuring more. The three militants were shot and wounded by mutineering Baputatswana police officers, and their vehicle was disabled by gunfire. A famous photo shows the three men pleading for their lives in front of Untla Metse Mensaioe, a black police officer. Nevertheless, Menyatsoe shot the three wounded men dead while yelling, quote, Who do you think you are? What are you doing in my country? The Baputatswana crisis ended on March 11, 1994, after F.W. de Klerk deployed South African Defense Force soldiers to the area to put down Mangope's defenders. In addition to Wolfart, Fouri, and Oiz, one AVF militant and one AWB militant were killed, while an estimated 50 mutineering Baputatswana police officers were killed. 
Free elections in South Africa took place as planned in April of 1994, with the ANC and Nelson Mandela coming out victorious. Simultaneously, all of the Bantu stands, including Baputatswana, were dissolved. Ontla Metse Menyatsoe was granted legal immunity for killing the three wounded AWB militants as the 1996 Truth and Reconciliation Commission found that the men were killed in the heat of the moment after Menyatsoe learned that they had shot and wounded a woman in front of her children. As for Lucas Mangope, although he was removed as president of Baputatswana, he founded the United Christian Democratic Party, which retains limited influence in South African politics to this day. Mangope remained active in politics until his death in 2018 at the age of 94. AWB leader Eugene Terreblanche, meanwhile, continued his Afrikaner nationalist activism until 2010, when he was murdered in a farm attack at the age of 69. Constant Willion of the AVF became involved in the Freedom Front, an Afrikaner interest political party, until he died of natural causes in 2020 at the age of 86. F.W. de Klerk continued to support the rollback of apartheid, serving as deputy president of South Africa under Nelson Mandela. De Klerk died of mesothelioma complications in 2021 at the age of 85. At his funeral, de Klerk was eulogized by none other than Cyril Ramaphosa, who, four days ago, narrowly won re-election as the leader of the ANC and therefore the president of South Africa. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Historia Obscura. I really enjoyed learning about it myself. If you want to suggest an episode of Historia Obscura, send me a voice message at anchor.fm slash historiaobscura slash message. Feel free to leave your name and location, and if I like your idea, I'll make an episode of it and give you credit. Additionally, if you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash historiaobscura and become a patron. And of course, I can't go without once again thanking this episode's sponsor, Anchor. They are by far the easiest way to make a podcast, so if you want to make your own, go to anchor.fm. With that said, this is Jack from Historia Obscura, signing off, but not for long.